Christmas morning a few years ago. It was early. Our kids, Reuben and Mary, uh, they wake up. Ooh, everyone's getting up. Yes, youth. Uh, youth, do what you do. You are dismissed to your service there. If you're in 7th through 12th grade, I invite you to the youth service. Follow someone who's walking out right now. Okay. God is good. Um, Christmas morning a few years ago, um, our children, Reuben and Mary, uh, like, like many kids on a Christmas morning, are super excited about what might be under the tree for them. Uh, leading up to Christmas, like many children, uh, they, were, they were informing mom and dad of some things that they were interested in. Well, when Christmas morning came around and we gathered around the tree, my wife and I handed our children each one small box. And, and you could imagine a, a child who is expecting to uh, receive maybe a, a Lego set or a doll set to be handed a very small box, what they could be feeling in that moment. Well, they proceed to open it and they pull out of that box uh, a piece of paper with a picture of a theme park on it with the words annual pass. Yeah, right, right? Thank you, moms and dads. Well, for them, they were a little disappointed because they didn't understand the significance of what was in that box. They didn't understand the significance of what that piece of paper meant that had annual pass written on it. They didn't understand the significance of what came out of the box. It wasn't until we lived that year experiencing all the fun things you can do with an annual pass at a theme park that they really began to understand its significance. Now, in the same way, in John chapter 20, as he begins to conclude his gospel, he begins to point all of the previous 19 chapters to this one singular event, the tomb of Jesus being empty. And and we're going to see today that not just not only is the tomb empty but it is what has come out or who has come out of that tomb that makes it significant that that is the true present that is the true gift of god is the resurrection of jesus christ and every single one of us in here today in the commons watching online can be greatly helped and encouraged by reorienting our lives around the reality and the truth of Jesus' tomb being empty. You see, our children, they needed a reorientation to the significance of that gift. And you and I today need a reorientation to the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, if you're taking notes, we're going to learn five ways that the resurrection of Jesus Christ reorients our lives. So in your Bibles... Read with me, beginning in John chapter 20, verse 1. The text says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So it's early in the morning before sunrise, three days after the crucifixion. Mary is going to the tomb expecting to finish some of the burial customs that were left incomplete 
on the Friday before. And when she gets to the tomb, she is expecting to find who in the tomb? Jesus. But she gets, receives something very unexpected. Not only is the stone rolled away, but the one whom she was expecting to be there isn't. And you could almost sense her level of anxiety and excitement as we read those couple of verses. She goes back, runs back to Peter and John and says, guys, Jesus isn't there. You see, Mary was expecting, and, and rightly so, she was expecting to find a dead person in the grave. She needed a reorientation. If you're taking notes, the first way that the resurrection of Jesus Christ reorients us is reorients us from death to life. The resurrection of Jesus reorients us from death to life. Now, as we compare and, and learn the, the full kind of account of that morning from the other gospel writers, Luke adds an interesting detail. Luke writes in Luke chapter 24, when Mary arrives, she is met with an, by an angel, and the angel says, Mary, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is what? Risen. He is risen. Amen. See, what Mary needed that morning was she needed a reorientation. And she needed to understand, like you and I need to understand, she needed to understand a series of spiritual truths or spiritual realities that are true for every single one of us all of the time. I want to share a few of those with you. Beginning in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, every single one of us in here watching online, every person who has ever lived, has what? Sinned and has fallen short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 continues and says, The wages or the price that we pay for that sin is death, physical and spiritual. But... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So three spiritual truths, three spiritual realities that every single one of us need to understand is we have all sinned. Oh, can we go back, please? Back up the slide. There we go. We have all sinned. So you can turn to the person next to you and just say, good morning, sinner. Oh, it's perfectly fine. It's not offensive. It's true. Um, <laughs> we have all sinned. Sin brings both physical and spiritual death. Third spiritual reality, Jesus is our only hope for eternal life. Now let's continue. Let's learn two more spiritual realities. Romans 4.25, he, Jesus, was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Now, what does that have to do with you and I today? 1 Corinthians 6.14. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Spiritual realities 4 and 5. Jesus' resurrection is what makes you and I right with God today. It's, it's right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have right standing with God both today and forever because the tomb is empty, because Jesus walked out of it. Second, because of that, you and I will also be raised to life. So that means the way that you and I view Jesus's tomb today, empty, is the same way 
that you and I also ought to view our own future tombs. Now, I'll share a picture with you. I went to, had the opportunity to go to Israel uh, a couple of years ago, 2017, I think, and I got to go to the garden tomb. It's uh, the, one of the sites that they believe is the, the actual site of Jesus's burial. And I went in that tomb and guess what? It's empty. It is completely empty. He is risen. So the way that we view the tomb of Jesus is also the same way we ought to view our own tombs. Now, I want to share a little life hack with you. I'm going to go, I'm going to segue a little bit. If you have a smartphone, you have a maps app. And on your maps app, not all green spaces are parks. I was in a foreign country uh, recently and I went for a walk. I wanted to go to a park. So I pulled up my map. I found a really nice green space. I walked to that park and, and here's what I found. Uh, that green space was actually a cemetery. So yeah, just life hack, pro tip, not all green spaces are parks. They could also be cemeteries. You got to pick and choose. Well, anyway, I get to the cemetery and I'm like, well, here I am. So I walk through it and, and, and I noticed this one spot here uh, in this, in this tomb, the middle, the spot is what? It's empty. And I thought in that moment, we can either look at that and say, this is one day going to be filled, or it is a picture of the future of every single Christ follower. We ought to also view our own tomb the same way we view Jesus's, that because he lives, friend, one day you and I will also live forever. And, and, and Jesus he says in John chapter 11, the same account where he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says in John chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Even though they die physically, they will live forever spiritually. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks, he poses this question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that to be true? The resurrection of Jesus Christ reorients us from death to life. Read with me what happens next, beginning in verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, that we believe is John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and, in typical Peter fashion, went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Verse 8, Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside, he saw and believed. Verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Some of your translations say, and then they went back home. So if you're taking notes, the second way the resurrection reorients us is the resurrection of Jesus reorients us from faith in our feelings to faith in God's word. From faith in our feelings to faith in God's word. You see, Peter and John heard the best 
they, they heard life-changing news, that Jesus' tomb was empty and they needed to see it for themselves. And in verse 8 says that they saw and believed. Now, now those words, that phrase, it, it means that what they saw with their eyes, they believed with their minds. They had an intellectual belief. Their belief was formed by what they saw, how they felt. And the result of that is while they believe that, yes, that tomb is empty, and Mary, you're absolutely right, he is not here, it didn't change their life. And you say, well, Pastor David, how can you say that? Because the text says they went back home. They went back to where they were staying. There was no life change. They had an intellectual belief. They had a belief based on feelings, but it forced them to go back home. They did not understand the significance of what the resurrection meant for their lives personally. Friend, a lack of understanding of the resurrection, it's going to sideline you and I from engaging with God in his greater purposes. A lack of understanding, like Peter and John, is going to just send us back home from here later today with no life change. You see, God desires that you and I have a faith that's not based on how we feel, but a faith that's based in God's word. A faith that's based in in what God says. And, And that's the type of faith that I believe Jesus has been trying to cultivate in the lives of his disciples all those years he was on earth. If we look back early in Jesus' ministry, beginning all the way back in John chapter 2, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, there's a, a verse 22 says, after he was raised from the dead, that's when his disciples remembered what he had previously said. Then they believed the what? Scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus is desiring to cultivate in your life and in my life a faith that is not based on our feelings, but a faith that is based on God's word. Now, this week sometime, I want to, I want to encourage you to search those scriptures. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament at this point. So the scriptures that are referred to in John 2.22 is the Old Testament. Specifically, I want to point you to two Two chapters, Psalm chapter 16 and Psalm chapter 22. Read those uh, sometime this week and you will see the resurrection of Jesus Christ in those two chapters. And those are just two of many Old Testament scriptures. Also, that text says they remembered the words of Jesus. So Jesus had been telling them, prepping them, warming them up to this future reality of what was going to happen. And And we can see here, I believe it's in Matthew Chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus says, from that time on, Jesus began to to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So at this morning, that morning at the tomb, Peter and John had a faith that was based on their feelings. They saw the evidence, but no matter how convincing physical evidence might be, it can never change a life. It takes faith in God's word. The resurrection causes us to reorient us to have faith in his word. Now, every single one of us here online, 
we are going to be continually tempted to interpret our circumstances through the lens of our feelings. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've been there where, where you've said, I don't care what the facts are. I don't care what, what this says. I don't care what the Bible says. I know how I feel. We've all been there. But that question that the angel asked Mary in Luke, Mary, why do you look for the living among the dead? It challenges you and I that when we are tempted to interpret our circumstances through the lens of our feelings, it causes us to refer to a higher authority, authority greater than ourselves and authority greater than our feelings, the authority of God's word. The next time that you are tempted to interpret your circumstances with your feelings, remember God's word. Never underestimate how remembering God's word, his promises, will change and steady your feelings in the most tragic and surprising circumstances of life. I want to give you three simple tools to help you remember to have faith in God's word and not in your feelings. Here they are up on the screen. First, what of this is true and what of this is factual? Or what am I, of your circumstances, what you're experiencing, what, of it, what, what you're feeling, what is true, what are the facts? Second, what does God's word say about these truths? What does God's word say about these facts? That's going to require you and I to pause and to know God's word, to search the scriptures. And then, last but not least, how does the resurrection change the way we think and respond to this? whatever that might be. Three simple tools. You know, a toolbox is just a box. It's understanding how to use what's inside that makes it valuable. It's understanding how to apply God's word to our everyday life, to our circumstances, and to our feelings. It changes everything. The resurrection reorients us from having faith in feelings to faith in God's word. All right, let's continue. Verse 11 says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friend, if you're taking notes, the third way the Resurrection reorients us is the resurrection of Jesus reorients us from grief 
to joy. You see, Mary was crying because when she got to the tomb, Jesus wasn't there and she didn't know where he was. And John records that, that she encounters these two angels. And I tell you, this is like the only person in all of scripture to come face to face with two angels and is completely unfazed by them. I mean, you read the text, like these angels ask her these questions and she's like, I don't know. She's completely unfazed. And I think it's fair to say that in our life, many times grief, sorrow, pain, misery, even disappointment can cause us to be blinded to the supernatural things that God wants to do. But the resurrection changes all of that because the resurrection reorients us from grief to joy. The angels ask her, Mary, why are you crying? You see, the angels had what at that moment, uh, Mary, Peter, and John did not have. The angels had understanding. They understood that Jesus' resurrection, they understood that the tomb being empty was not a reason for grief, but was the very reason for joy. And then Jesus enters the scene. And Mary doesn't recognize her, probably through all the tears and the grief. And, And he does what? He calls her how? By name. Mary. Did you know this morning that Jesus knows your name? He knows exactly what you're walking through. He knows exactly the weight you're carrying. He knows the grief you have. He knows everything about you. And he knows your name. The voice of God is what gave Mary joy that morning. Everything changed in an instant when she heard the voice of Jesus. John 10, 27, you know the verse. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Mary's grief is immediately turned to joy at the voice of Jesus. Same in your life, same in mine. He knows your name today. You see, Mary, Jesus Jesus makes this this incredible remark. She says, Mary, don't cling to me. And and that's, that's startling to hear. Like Jesus is actually telling someone, get away from me. Like Mary... You're cool and all, but I don't want to hang out right now. And why would Jesus say that? He says that because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is as much for Mary personally as it is for every single person on the planet universally. Other people need to know Jesus is alive. Mary is the first person in recorded history to have that eyewitness testimony. So Jesus immediately dispatches Mary. The news is both important and it's urgent. That's why in that moment, Jesus is like, we don't have time for this. We have all eternity to hang out. So get going, Mary. Tell my brothers, tell the disciples, I am alive. And that is exactly what she does. She is the first one to bring the good news of the resurrected Jesus. Now, here's the thing about Mary. Mary has an interesting past. We don't know a whole lot of details about Mary's past specifically. But what we do know from scripture is that Mary was possessed by not one, but by seven demons. And early on in Jesus's ministry, 
he and he walks in to Mary's life. Mary lived a demonically oppressed life, a life far from God, a life without hope, a life in darkness. And Jesus walks into her life one day and changes everything. He casts those demons out. He makes her clean. He gives her hope. He gives her purpose. And now, some three years after that, She's carrying the good news for the very first time in all of history. And I want to say to you, and I believe that God would have you know today, that every single one of us have a past. Every single one of us have things in our life, past or maybe even present, that we are not proud of and that we could even be guilty and ashamed of. And because of that, Satan will tempt us to believe the lie that God can't use us. That, that, yes, that we are beyond redemption, that we are beyond hope, that we are beyond the ability of God to use us for his glory, for his purposes, to further his mission in the future. Look at Mary's life. Not a single person in here in the commons or watching online are beyond the redemption of Jesus Christ. He will use you. He wants to clean you. Just come to him and say, Jesus, here I am, and he will make you clean. Amen. To God be the glory. So don't believe the lies of the enemy. Believe the word of God. And God says this in Isaiah 43. He says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, do not fear. For I have what? Redeemed you. And I have summoned you. How? By name. He knows your name. He says, you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? Because I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So change your belief. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything, and because it does, everything about you and I changes. Peter captures that. Peter writes in, in 1 Peter 1.3, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he lives, you and I live today. And because he lives, you and I have hope today. The resurrection accomplishes that for us. It changes our grief to joy. Amen. All right. Let's look at verse 19. On the evening of the first day, so it is, it is later on that first day of the week, disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. If you're taking notes, the fourth way the resurrection of Jesus Christ reorients us is the resurrection of Jesus reorients us to his mission reorients us to his mission. You see, later that same day, even after they heard the news from Mary, they were gathered together 
in an upper room, doors locked, and the text tells us that they were gathered in what? Four-letter word? Fear. They were gathered in fear. Now, what is fear? Fear, fear is the feeling that we have that lets us know that we are in danger and need help. Fear is the feeling that we have when we are in danger and need help. Now, our daughter, Mary, lately she's been having these, uh, these bad dreams at night. And, and maybe you have a child who has been having bad dreams or, or, or have experienced this before, but she has these bad dreams at night and she gets up out of bed, walks across the house, comes into our room and says, mom, dad, I'm having a bad dream. Now, why does she do that? Well, because the bad dream has caused a fear in her, a fear that's causing her to not be able to sleep. That fear is also causing her to get up out of bed, come to mom and dad, and ask for what? Help. So we talk to her and we pray over her. See, Fear is the feeling we have when we are in danger and need help. Every single one of us watching online, every single one of you, have and will experience fear. That is a part of our fallen condition in this world. We will experience fear. So the question then becomes, well, what are we to do with fear when we experience it? There's two things we can do with fear. First, there's what's called toxic fear. Say that with me. Toxic fear. Toxic fear is the fear that's going to let us know that we are in danger and then cause us to recluse, to not reach out for help. It's the fear that says, I can't, I won't, it will never happen. I am afraid. What will people think of me? It's all the excuses. It's the fears built on excuses. It's the fears built on uncertainty. It's the fears built around the unknown. The other type of fear is called healthy fear. Say it with me. Healthy fear. And you're like, Pastor Dave, how can fear be healthy? We just read in Isaiah, God said, don't fear. How can we have healthy fear? What is healthy fear? Healthy fear is the fear that says, I'm in danger and I need help. It's the fear that causes us to get out from behind the locked doors that the disciples were in. It's the fear that causes us, just like it caused our daughter Mary, to come into the room and say, Daddy, I need help. It's the same fear in your life and in mine that causes us to go to our loving Father and say, Father God, I am feeling these things. I am experiencing these things. They are so big. They are giants in my life. And Lord, I need your help. Do you know what our loving father is really good at doing with his children? Helping them. You know, God wants to help you. See, healthy fear in your life and in mine is that fear that God is going to use to propel us forward to take greater steps of faith for his glory. What do you do with the fear when you experience it? Toxic fear is shrink back, lock doors. Healthy fear is step out, say, God, this is so big. I need your help. Let's do this. Now, the psalmist writes this, Psalm 121. Our loving God, our loving Father is really good at helping his children. And the psalmist says, he poses the question, 
where does my help come from? And then he answers it. My help comes from who? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Jesus brought the help that the disciples needed in their time of fear. He brought peace to their turmoil. As soon as he enters the room, he sees their condition of toxic fear. And he says, guys, peace be with you. But then he doesn't let them stay there. He wants to take that toxic fear and turn it to healthy fear and say, guys, I got something in store for you that you can not even imagine. He says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you and you're going to live the life that I have lived. You're going to make me known to people who don't know me. I am sent as the father has sent me. Jesus says, I'm going to send you. Second, he says this, you're not going to go alone. Don't fear. You're you're not going to do this alone because I'm also sending the Holy Spirit to go with you and you're going to do greater things than even I have done. And then he sends them with authority. He says, forgive sins. He says, you're going to go with the authority and the confidence to announce the good news that all who place their faith in Jesus Christ will have their sins forgiven. And you're going to go with that same authority and that same confidence that all who renounce Jesus are at risk of forfeiting the mercy of God in their life. So you're going to go, I am sending you to live as I have lived. I am sending you not alone, but with the Holy Spirit. And I am sending you with authority. The resurrection reorients us to Jesus's mission. Jesus told Mary, Mary, don't stay here, but what? Go. He told his disciples, disciples, don't stay here in this room, but what? Go. He tells you and I today, don't stay here, but what? Go. I really truly believe that we can see from scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, that God truly does mean to employ all of his children, all of his children to the global work of redemption. That for every person who has come to relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, God really does mean to send you, to send you to your families, to send you to your coworkers, to send you to your neighbors, to send you like the Vivars to the nations, that you and I would partner with God in his global work of redemption. God wants you to be a part of his big story, but that's going to require you and I to do what? Acknowledge the fear, step out in faith, The resurrection accomplishes that in your life and in mine for all who believe. Verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, listen to what Thomas says. Unless these conditions are met, Thomas says, I will not believe. Verse 26, a week later. So a week goes by between the end of verse 25 and the beginning of verse 26. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. 
reach out your hand and put it into my side. Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen. The fifth way the resurrection reorients us is the resurrection of Jesus reorients us to saving faith in Jesus. See, Thomas was not present the first time. So the disciples told him with great excitement. They said, Thomas, but you missed out, man. We've seen the Lord. And the text tells us that, that based on that, what did Thomas do? Thomas doubted. So, so what is, what is doubt? See, biblical doubt is simply this. Biblical doubt is not believing God's faithfulness. When you and I doubt God, what are we really doing? We're not believing that he is faithful. We're not believing that he's going to do what he said he is going to do. So Jesus confronts his doubt there in verse 27. And he says, Thomas, stop doubting. And in a literal translation of those Greek words, stop doubting, it's really maybe more literal is, Thomas, stop not believing. Start believing. Thomas, stop unbelieving and start believing. See, many of us, Many of us can relate to Thomas. See, there was three conditions that led to Thomas, Thomas's unbelief. First, Thomas rejected eyewitness testimony. He said, yeah, that's great, Mary, you saw it, all you disciples saw it. That, I, I didn't see it, so I don't believe it. So Thomas rejects eyewitness testimony. Second, Thomas did not understand the scriptures or the words of Jesus. He didn't understand what, the signif- what Jesus was saying, what the scriptures are pointing to as far as the resurrection goes and who Jesus was. Third, Thomas, and, th- and this is significant for all of us, Thomas placed conditions on his belief. He placed conditions. He said, unless these things are met, I will not believe. The truth is, is that many of us can place conditions on belief. And we, we can say, we can cloak it though. We can say it like this. Well, if God does this, then I will do that. If God, if God heals this person or if God heals me, then I'll know he is real and I will give my life to him. You see, unbelief, biblical doubt is always predicated by the word if God does this, then I will do that. Friends, we've been there, whether we want to admit it or not. And, and I believe still this morning that there are some of us in this room and watching online who, like Thomas, have conditions to belief. Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, stop unbelieving. And start believing. Blessed are those who believe but have not seen. And I want to say to you today, if that's you, stop unbelieving. Stop coming up with excuses and start believing Jesus and then see what God's going to do. Take that step of faith. Say, Lord, here I am. 
I, I believe the scriptures. I believe your words. I, I don't understand all of it, but I understand enough to say, Jesus, here I am. Do that today and see what God is going to do in and through your life. The only one holding you back from a life with Jesus is you. Take that step of faith. The resurrection reorients us to saving faith in Jesus. Today we learned five things, five ways the resurrection reorients us. Reorients us from life to death. Reorients us from faith and feelings to faith in God's word. Reorients us from grief to joy to his mission. And reorients us to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Can have the band come out here. And as we close, John concludes this section. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. See, Jesus, the Son of God, came from heaven to earth. And he lived the perfect life, a life that you and I could not live. And based on that life, he made the perfect sacrifice that you and I could not make. He went into a tomb that was meant for you and I. And three days later, what did he do? He walked out of that tomb, conqueror of sin and death, that all may have life. Amen. 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 As we close, we're going to close with a verse and a prayer. Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, up on the screen, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the promise is you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that your tomb is empty. We thank you, Lord, that you are resurrected, alive and well, maker of heaven and earth, seated on the throne, encircled around the earth, in control of all things. So, Lord, we come to you this morning. And we thank you that you know us by name that all that is happening in the world and in human history, you still know our name. And as you called as you put time on pause that Sunday morning and you said, Mary Lord, you call us by name this morning we just pause. Would you call us by name? With every head bowed, every eye closed. The voice of the Savior is calling you by name. It's saying, it's time to believe. It's time to put your faith in Jesus Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just raise your hand saying, today is the day. Put your hand up high. Today, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I've heard his voice. Amen, 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 amen. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Yes, yes. 
Praise the Lord. Yes. Balcony, yes. Yes, yes. Yes, amen. Amen. If you have your hand raised, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. You just pray it in your heart to the Lord in faith. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I am sorry for my sins. Thank you that despite of my sins, you've called me by name today. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. And I thank you for it. I open my heart, my life. And I invite you in. And as Thomas said, I also say, Jesus, my Lord and my God, thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray.